I'd like uh, to begin this morning with a question, kind of like we did last week. Also give me time to chew up my cough drop. So. <laughs> How do you recognize authority? A uniform. Do you recognize authority? I guess maybe that's the question. <laughs> Power? Wisdom? Respect? Leadership? Definitely. Bridget's giving me a look, so I guess she says it's time to move on. All right. Um. <laughs> well, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in verse 21 through 28. And uh, this passage, one of the key words in this passage is authority. And what we're going to see this morning in our time is that this passage reveals false authority and true authority and gives us an idea on how we can recognize them in the world and how uh, they can have an impact on our lives. Uh, when I was a kid, our, our family at one point in time lived in Belton, Missouri. Uh, Belton, Missouri is the south side of Kansas City. My dad was a pastor up there, and, and I remember the last house we lived in before we ended up moving to Illinois. Um, it wasn't a huge house by any means. It was like a little town home, but um, I had my own bedroom, uh, and it wasn't a huge bedroom by any means, but it was enough for my bed and dresser and toys and stuff like that, and so uh, just try to picture it. So if this was the wall, then my, my bed sat against the wall and, and up against the, the other, the back wall, and it was under a window. At the foot of my bed, about a couple feet away from uh, the foot of it, sat my dresser. And then if I'm laying on my back to the left is a door. And then along that wall is where the closet was. And the closet had uh, sliding mirror doors, if you're familiar with those. And so uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't huge, but it was my room. And uh, I remember one particular night I, I woke up and kind of, you know, foggy, but I looked over into the corner of my bedroom and there was a figure standing there. And so I did what all children do when they have fear overcome their hearts. I pulled the sheet over the head as if that's going to offer some shield of protection from whatever this figure was. And Thinking maybe, okay, maybe I, I didn't see it, maybe I was dreaming, so I built up the courage, you know, you, you got to peek, you got to look, and to make sure I saw what I saw, and sure enough, in the corner of my room, there was this dark figure that I couldn't quite figure out and what it was, and so it caused me to build up the courage to shout, Mom! As loud as I could, and as many times as I could, but the more I shouted, uh, no one came, and so I was stuck there, and I was left with two options. I could let whatever this mysterious figure was be the end of me, or I could get out of bed, and I could flee through the doorway and down to my parents' room and find some sort of safety. And so I chose to, to live. That was my choice. And so I, I threw off the sheets, and I bolted for the door, and as I was going by the door, I just happened to flip on the switch as I ran out, which caused me to stop because... I wanted to go back and I wanted to, to look with the lights on because it was a possibility. There was a possibility this was my brother. Uh, I have a, five, a brother who's five years older than me and he was prone to sleepwalk. 
And on one particular time, he thought that my toy box was the toilet, and so uh, I'll embarrass him because you haven't yet to meet him, I don't think. But anyway, and so I, I switched on the light, and I looked around just in that corner to see maybe that was my brother Rob, but I was in shock as the figure was gone. So I thought, well, maybe I was dreaming it, maybe I didn't see it, maybe I wasn't fully awake, and so I decided to turn off the light, go back to bed, crawl in, and thankfully I didn't wake up my parents. Of course, I had to look one more time, right? I mean, you, you just got to. And so I look back in the corner, and once again, there's this dark figure just standing there in the corner. So I bolted again, turned on the light. And this time, instead of running to my folks, I went back to the bed and I sat on it with the lights on and I looked in the corner and then I realized what happened. See, up against the wall by the mirror, I had what was once the greatest quarterback of all time, Joe Montana. Of course, Joe came out and said that now Tom Brady is, but you know, he's not always right. But anyway, um, and I noticed with the light on and the way it reflected in the mirror that just a silhouette would form a body. And when you turned off the light, it looked perfectly like a person was just standing there looking straight at my bed. I share that story because a lot of times we can allow false authorities to overcome us and to cause reactions that are not accurate. For me on that night, it was the fear, a false authority of fear began to control me. But when I saw the truth and turning on the light and the reflection of the poster, I realized that I was jumping to the wrong scenario or the wrong reaction. We're looking at false and true authority in our passage this morning in Mark chapter 1, and let's read it and then we'll walk through it. Beginning in verse 21, Mark is after Matthew before the Gospel of Luke, by the way, if you're still looking. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, if you remember last week, which I'm sure you all do, you remember all the messages we do. Um, last week, we were in the city of Cana, in which a official came from Capernaum to Cana to find Jesus because his son was dying. Now, the Gospels aren't concerned with how, much, how long Jesus spent in Cana, just the fact that he eventually made it to Capernaum where that official son was. And because we've been walking through the Gospels, when we come to the they in verse 21, we can kind of figure out who this is. So we have Jesus for sure, and we have Peter, Andrew, James, John, Andrew, or I already said Andrew, Nathaniel, and Philip. So we've got six disciples and Jesus. The other six or other five, may have been following Jesus at this point in time, but we're not for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us when five of the disciples were called. All we know for sure is that Matthew definitely is not here at this point in time because he gets an official calling from Jesus. But Mark gives us the destination, the time, and the location of this event. 
Jesus is in Capernaum. It's the Sabbath day, which was the holy day of rest, and he goes to the, to the synagogue. Capernaum, from this point on, is going to be Jesus' home base of ministry. It's possible because four of his original disciples all lived in Capernaum, and we can know through Scripture that Peter, in fact, had a house in Capernaum, which is probably where Jesus and the gang eventually stayed. So nothing out of the ordinary is happening in our passage, because on the Sabbath, that was the day that the Jews would go to the synagogue to hear the reading of the law, the reading of the prophecy, and this was typically done by a scribe. The synagogue was not the same as a temple. They did not offer sacrifices here. This was simply a place to hear God's word read and God's word uh, explained. A synagogue in this time would be set up in any city which had 10 or more male Jews living in that city. So they have a synagogue and then the scribe would be the head of that synagogue. On this particular day, though, the scribe is not the one teaching. It's Jesus. And it may not mean much to us when we just read through the text, but for Jesus to teach in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, he would have had to been invited to do so by the head scribe. It tells us Jesus has gained some notoriety, and by the end of our passage, that is going to explode. Mark doesn't elaborate on what Jesus is teaching. It's just the response of the people. They were astonished, and they were amazed. But we can gain a baseline of Jesus' teaching if we go back a couple of verses in verse 14 and 15 of Mark. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so we know from historical documents, the scribes would teach from the law and the prophets and they would explain it to the people. And so Jesus most likely is doing this, but doing it in such a way that he's taking the law and the prophets and he's explaining Excuse me. Taking long prophets and explaining the kingdom of God, the calling to repentance, and the need to have a faith in the gospel. What would set Jesus apart from the regular teaching is typically the scribes, when they would read the law or read from the prophecies, they would then grab a book or a letter by a priest and they would read the priest's interpretation of the passage instead of delivering their own, their own interpretation of the passage. Jesus here doesn't need someone else's interpretation of the passage. This would be like if we gathered here at church today and we read this passage of Scripture, and instead of me preaching, instead of me taking the time to see what God says through the Word, I just open up a commentary and I read the commentary to you. You may learn something, but trust me, it would be very boring. And this is the setting to which Jesus shows up. There is no personal touch. But when Jesus shows up to teach, He is the full embodiment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophecies so he didn't need someone else's interpretation to the Word because he wrote the Word. And this is what separates Jesus' teaching from the scribes. He had a full understanding of what was being said. We also can know from Scripture that this isn't the first time that Jesus taught in a synagogue. He did it in his hometown of Nazareth, and you look in Luke 4 for that. On that occasion, Jesus read from the book of Isaiah and proclaimed that that prophecy was now fulfilled, which caused a negative response to Jesus' teaching. It is quite possible that Jesus is doing the same thing here in Capernaum, but he's finding a different reaction from the audience. They are in amazement. And it's at this point in time in our, in our text that a man appears who has an unclean spirit. The Gospel of Luke records this event as well, and refers to the spirit of an unclean demon. The word unclean means impure or evil. Mark or Luke aren't concerned with who this man is, but he would have had to have been a Jew in order to be in the synagogue on that day. 
Demons are fallen angels. They fell with Satan when they tried to revolt against God. I doubt demons have talons or sharp fangs or claws or blood-red eyes, but if you read through Scripture, when angels showed up, people had a fear of angels. So I imagine demons caused the same sort of reaction. And demon possession caused all sorts of issues within the Scriptures. Illnesses, self-harm, incredible strength, psychological issues, sometimes physical ailments and illnesses. That doesn't mean today when someone has those sort of ailments that they're possessed by a demon. But what the passage says and what the Bible makes clear is that demon possession does in fact happen. And no matter what form of possession it takes, the way we can see an indicator in Scripture is the individual who is possessed is not themselves. Jesus has already beat Satan. He's already beat his, his attempts to tempt him. And so this demon is not coming to Jesus in order to start a fight. He knows he would not win. Rather, he's coming to stir up a ruckus. The demon is fully aware of who Jesus is and fully aware of what Jesus is ultimately going to do to him. And the first question of the demon is very interesting. Verse 24, what do you have to do with us? It is a plural us, most likely referring to the fraternity of demons to which Jesus will encounter several throughout his ministry. The second question is, have you come to destroy us? Reveals that this demon is fully aware of his ultimate end. The final statement is the demon's, demon's awareness of who Jesus is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. How would the demon know that? Because we have to keep in mind, Jesus created the heavenly host and Jesus created this demon. This demon is interacting with his creator, but he has no reverence toward him. And as the possessed man has obviously taken the attention from Jesus' teaching on the synagogue, Jesus delivers two firm commands in verse 25. Be silent and come out of him. Be silent or be quiet is a phrase that means to muzzle yourself. It's simply the Bible's nice way of saying shut up. Be silent, muzzle yourself. But why doesn't Jesus want this demon to reveal who he is to those who are listening to his teaching? I mean, they are already captivated by him. Well, if you read through the gospel, Jesus does this frequently, whether it's with a demon, with someone he has healed, and sometimes even with his own disciples. This is the first example to which Jesus does not allow someone else to reveal who he is. Some call this the messianic secret, which Jesus kind of speaks of waiting until all things have been revealed. Jesus does this in his ministry so it won't be disrupted. We're going to look in a couple weeks when Jesus heals a leper. He gives instructions that the leper go see the priest and not go share about what happened with anyone. But the leper does the exact opposite. He doesn't obey Jesus' commandments and it caused Jesus to have to leave the area unable to do ministry in that area. If you look at the transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John came back down the mountain with Jesus, Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody what you saw or experienced until you have seen me risen from the grave. Jesus most likely does it here for the demon because he does not need a demon to proclaim his Godhead, especially since his Godhead has no impact on the demon's eternity or his view of Jesus Christ. Demon possessions in this time were not unheard of. Many times a priest would perform an exorcism, and they would have seances and incense going on. It would take time, but it was never in a public area. It was always in the house of the one possessed. But Jesus speaks in public and commands this demon, and a demon has to obey. Verse 26 kind of gives a 
sign that there's some sort of struggle, like the demon is trying to battle what Jesus is commanding him to do, but the demon is in fact acting like a spoiled child. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the demon did not harm the man when Jesus told him to get out. It's kind of like seeing a kid at the store not getting what they want or getting that toy or that piece of candy and they start throwing a fit because they're having to do something they don't want to do or not getting what they want. That's what this demon is doing. Now, I'm not telling you next time you go to the store and see a kid going crazy like, oh, that's a little demon. That's not what it means. Don't say to the parent because you know they'll give you the right hand of fellowship if you do. Your son's just a little demon. He just... But this demon is throwing such a fit. He's, he's acting spoiled. He doesn't want to obey his creator's words. Jesus is revealing his power initially and his authority through his teaching. And now his authority and power over this demon has brought the audience again to amazement. This was not the day to skip church, right? Can you imagine that conversation? For someone who maybe missed that day, you get home, hey, how was church? Oh, man, you would not believe it. So there's this guy, I think he was from Nazareth, his name was Jesus, and he taught. And it wasn't like that boring stuff that old Abe does. I mean, he taught some mind-blowing things, and everyone was amazed about what he's teaching. And then while he's teaching, Frank shows up, and you know Frank, little grumpy, stays isolated. Turns out he was possessed. Didn't see that one coming. But he starts yelling at Jesus. And then Jesus tells Frank to shut it. And then tells something about Frank for something to come out. And when Jesus says this, Frank falls down, begins convulsing, makes this God-awful sound. But whoa, it was so cool. People are still talking about it. You should have been there. Kind of just shows, you know, when you miss church, you miss out, right? But people were in awe of this power and like I mentioned, there's three false authorities and three true authorities to which we can see in this passage. Let's deal with the false ones first. The first mark of a false authority is titles. I know we mentioned titles, but just because someone has a title doesn't mean they actually carry that authority. You know, my wife's a teacher. That's a title. And there's been times, pre-COVID days, I would go to the school and I'd bring her a coffee or I'd go eat lunch with her. And there'd be times I'd walk down the hallway, not in Stratford. I'm, I'm being honest there, not in Stratford. But other places she's taught. And I've walked past classrooms where you could hear the teacher has lost all control. Their authority is not being recognized by the class. It is loud and they are yelling. We've all been in places where we've seen parents who have lost control of their children. It's gotten past the point where that look... Parents, you know the look we give our kids. That look's no longer working, and so the parent has to grab the kid's arm and take them somewhere private so they can swat the buttocks. <laughs> Last year, we saw people in this nation not respect authority of individuals who had titles, whether it was politicians or police or military. See, just because you have a title doesn't mean it carries authority for other people. In my past, I've been on staff at churches where it was evident that the pastor was not the one calling the shots. And the pastor is to be the shepherd or the leader of the church. He had the title, but he had no authority. Whoever this scribe was, Mark doesn't tell us, neither the other Gospels, 
But he did not teach with authority. And when Jesus showed up, it became evident to the people they were getting the short end of the stick when it came to the Word of God. Also notice when the demon shows up at the synagogue, he doesn't go to the scribe, he goes to the one who has the authority even though he's the guest speaker that day. The second mark of false authority is noise. This demon didn't come to pick a fight. He knew he was going to lose in the end. He came to make noise. He came to disrupt things. He came to take away the attention on what was important. Some believe this demon calls Jesus by name because that's the way the, the priest would exercise demon. They would figure out the name or the identity of the demon in order to give themselves authority over that demon. Jesus does this once with a demon named Legion. But this demon's noise and calling out Jesus is only masked authority. The false authority of noise is what drives many of us nuts with Facebook. Am I right? Is that there are people on Facebook who will make comments to other people that they wouldn't dare do to their face, and they start creating noise. That is the worst place to get an argument. People who are my age and older remember that the closest thing you could do with Facebook when you make comments like that would end up, hey, meet me at the flagpole after school or wherever your meeting ground was, and you would hash out your differences and find out who actually had authority, at least physically. I think a great example of the false authority of noise that we have seen in recent months was the presidential debate, the very first one. And I don't care what political party you support, but you could not have watched that debate where three men try to talk over one another for like an hour and a half and think, yes, each one of these men has control of this situation. Each one of these men is showing that they're an authoritative individual. There's another culture out there called the cancel culture. And they want to bring up so much noise about different things that people who don't understand what authority really is, fall prey to all the noise that they make. The final authority we see in this passage is the false authority of symbols. And don't get me wrong, symbols are important. They do carry value, whether that's a peace sign or a fish raised in the air or the cross or the American flag. Symbols represent things, but they have no authority. This synagogue was a place, a symbol where God's people could go and hear the Word of God speaking over them. And who shows up at the synagogue on that day? A demon. He was not threatened by this building. He was not threatened or impressed with what was going on in this arena. The demon went to church because the church building itself had no authority. It was the one in the church who held the authority. But at times we can, we can rely on symbols to be the authority of our salvation. Symbols like church membership, church attendance, Bible study, tithing, or even being baptized. But this is going to blow people away. You can be a member of a church. You can actively attend a church. You can vigorously study your Bible. You can give money to the church. And you could have been baptized and still not have the authority of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because they're symbols. Our faith is not a symbol. 
or something that we can do or something that we have done. Our faith is in the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Remind me of an old hymn we need to remember. The blood that Jesus shed for me. Way back on Calvary, the blood that gives me strength. You know how it goes? From day to day. you got to kind of do that with your head, right? What? It will never lose its power. That's what our faith is. And are we resting in the authority of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ or in something else? We also see three true authorities in this passage. The first authority is the authority in the knowledge of Scripture. People were in awe of Jesus' teaching. Now, he's got a leg up on me. He's got a leg up on all of us. I mean, he wrote the book, right? So he knows it front and back. He has it memorized. But they were in awe of his teaching even before the exorcism happened because Jesus revealed his authority in the Word of God. Now, when I say a knowledge of Scripture, I, I, I don't want us to think, okay, a knowledge of Scripture is being able to, to talk about a few Bible stories and maybe to rattle off a few memory verses. There's a good things to know, but Jesus' authority and the knowledge of Scripture was because Jesus lived the Scripture. The Word of God is what guided Jesus to say, do, and go. And it is that authority over us which should be exampled in this life. In the book of Acts, Peter and John are standing before the, the Sanhedrin, which is basically the Jewish court. And they had brought them in and ordered them to stop preaching that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. The problem was is that Peter and John had seen and lived the resurrection. So when they were ordered by a group who, with apparent authority to stop them, they replied, we cannot, speak of, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Leading us to Sanhedrin, looked at Peter and John and said these were uneducated men. These were common men. Yet they spoke with authority because they spoke the Word. And this Word is the only authority in all of creation because it was written by the Creator. And as God's people, we have to proclaim it louder than our political allegiances. We proclaim the Word of God. The book of Proverbs says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant for your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil for men of perverted speech. If you receive My words and store up My commandments, the Word of God. Second authority, the true authority is power over evil. At a synagogue, this was a biblical gunfight going down, right? But not like Ned and Three Amigos with the Germans. This is like Doc Holliday and Donnie Ringo gunfight, right? If you're familiar with the movie Tombstone, I'd show this, the, the clip, but we have kids here. So uh, parents, if you're familiar, you can watch it later. So the movie is building this epic clash between Doc Holliday and Donnie Ringo in this massive gunfight. 
And when it finally comes at the end of the movie, you know, they, they're kind of squared off. They're talking back and forth. and They begin staring each other down. And then Doc Holliday looks at Donnie and Ringo and says, Say when. Right? And then it's over before it even starts. That's what happens today. This, this demon shows up at the synagogue. He's making all this noise. He's huffing and puffing. He's drawing the attention. Before it even starts, Jesus puts an end to it. Because the true authority in this word is the word of God because it vanquishes evil. It shines into the darkness. The Bible says in John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. After Peter gave his confession of Jesus being the Christ and the Son of the living God, Jesus confirmed his confession, which gives authority. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, the rock is speaking of the confession that Peter just made, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall what? Not prevail against it. It was the authority of Jesus, the living word, which now authorizes us God's children to go into the world and make disciples and baptizing them and teaching them all the things we've learned about Jesus. God has given us the authority to take His Word into the world because it is the only thing that has power over evil. We are God's spokesmen, His ambassadors of true power and true authority. And the only thing which stops a believer from doing this is given into false authority, like I did with my Montana poster. Something that's not really there and can't really hurt us. Finally, a third mark of true authority is the ability to capture hearts. This is what makes a leader a leader, right? People respond and follow their leadership. And Jesus amazed the people twice. He captured their hearts through His teaching, and then He captured their hearts through His power. And true authority captures the hearts of people, leading them to true life. We don't have to look any further than the cross. One act of love to change the hearts of men has changed billions. And Jesus came to capture hearts through the cross for the kingdom and still doing today. Do you notice it's a sad thing about this passage? The people who were at the synagogue didn't recognize Jesus. They were amazed with Him. They were in awe of Him, but the only one that recognized Jesus this day was the demon. What a sad place to be, to be in the presence of God, in the presence of a Savior, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and to hear the Word of God and not be captured by God's love. But that may have happened here in the past for someone, and that might be someone, something someone is being tempted to happen today, to be in the presence of God and hear of God's love and not recognize it as authority. That's why I must share the gospel. That's what Jesus preached. And you need to know that God created you for a relationship with Him. And you have sin in your life, just like I have sin in my life. And that sin is going to separate us from God if it's not taken care of. And a lot of people think, well, if I just go to church, if I just do good things, if I just do whatever, fill in the blank, that that'll take the sin away, but that's not how it works. See, we can't remove our sin from ourselves, but God knows this. And that's why He sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. They placed him in a tomb and rose three days later. And the Bible says, when I believe that God loves me that much in my heart, and I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, I'll be saved and I'll be given eternal life. Perhaps you've placed your faith in some symbol or something you've done and not placed it 
purely in Jesus Christ. You know that needs to change this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Mike to come on down. If you need to accept Jesus today, if you even have questions, just come down and, and tell Mike, hey, I, I, want to, I want to be saved. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here and, and you're like me and you've given in to false authorities in your life and, and it's been revealed through Scripture. I, I should not allow that to have power over me. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father and repent of those things. Our God is good. All the time. So you've got to stay awake because you never know when I'm going to say that. He's going to be here if you need to come down and pray with someone. Uh, let's pray together. Father, In this time, we not only become hearers of your word, but doers. And we respond to what you've placed in our minds and our hearts, and we don't just let it wash away. We don't be like the people who are at the synagogue in the presence of Jesus and not be changed eternally. So Lord, have your way with us in this moment. Forgive me if I got in your way in any way. And praise all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.